We'll look at the first couple verses there in John chapter 9. The Bible says in John, John chapter 9, verse 1, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're, we're thankful to be here. And God, I just ask that uh, as, we, as we look at your word and as we seek to, to preach it and to understand it, God, might, might your spirit be at work during this time. Might we hear from you. God, I, I feel especially this morning uh, empty without anything to give of my own self. God, I just ask that you would be at work, that you would be lifted up, that the service would be at you, and uh, that those here would be pointed to you. God, if we've, if we've gathered and if I've done anything in your name and it's not to lead others to you, then I've wasted my time. And God, I just ask that you would be seen in this. We love you and we ask your hand on this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I think uh, something they don't tell you when you're, when you're going into ministry, if you were to go to uh, uh, Bible college or seminary or something of that nature, uh, something they really don't talk about or don't tell you there is that your inevitability in ministry, really in almost any capacity, is to be constantly bombarded with uh, a flow of tragedy. You know what I mean? Uh, it's just one of those things. There's no class on, hey, pretty much every week you get to hear about another terrible thing that happened to somebody. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not one of those things they talk about that much, you know. It's not a, there's no, I didn't get a whole class on that part of it. Uh, and it seems like uh, every week there's some burden and some trouble and some issue that's uh, arisen where you're praying for some deep hurt, some, some tragedy in somebody's life. And, and it's just, it, it seems like it's constant uh, that way. And I think maybe the more lives that you see and the, and the more people you get to know and, uh, and invest in or, or, or be able to see in church or, or around throughout the country, the more you hear about those things. And I would say that the hardest ones... Uh, and I think we probably all would agree with that, are the ones you don't have a cause and effect for, if you know what I mean by that. Uh, the ones where something happens and you've you got no place to put it, if you know what I mean by that. I don't know if that phrase makes any sense. That's the way I, I, I think about things. i got to put something someplace. That's how my mind works. 
this is going to get weird deep into my mind. You don't need to know that much about my head. But I just, I, in my mind, I just, everything's got a place. And this goes in that box. I, think, I almost think there's probably filing cabinets in my mind where everything gets placed in a location. And if it's got a location, I'm good with it. If I understand what's happening, I'm good. I can, I can weather uh, almost anything that way when things make sense. You know, if you think of somebody, and even if it's uh, somebody you love and it's something that hurts you, when you, when you think it's about somebody that chooses the wrong path and uh, uh, becomes the, starts to drink heavily and uh, uh, get into alcohol excessively, constantly, and then one night they're drinking and they get in a car and they end up in an accident. Even if that's somebody you love and it, and it hurts you, maybe if they even pass, you put it somewhere. You know what I mean? Where you understand what happened. They made choices that led them to a place where something horrible happened and they did it to themselves. And as much as it hurts and you weep and you pray for their family, you, it goes somewhere. If you're with me in that terminology. But then there are things that, that you've got to know where to put, if you understand what I'm saying about. Uh, you know, you think about maybe a young person that loves the Lord and is serving them with their life and then dies of cancer. And you think, where, what file does that go in? If you understand where I'm at this morning. Uh, and if I'm transparent... I've often come to God with tears in my eyes and just said, why? God, why? I don't, I don't have a folder for this event. I can't understand where this goes. Uh, I think we probably are all that way um, at some point in our life. I think if you're a human being, at some point you're going to face a a trial either in your life or in the life of somebody that you love, and sometimes that's harder than when it happens to you, and, and you've got nothing, you got nowhere to put it, and you just pray, and you weep, and you go, God, why? I don't, I don't know why. I can't see any, any reason, no cause for this. I don't know what led us to this. I don't see any benefit for this. What could be the what could be the beneficial outcome of, of such a scenario? And so often, uh, I feel like I'm coming to that kind of a question. You know, you think about, uh, maybe why do I have cancer? Or, or why does that hit my family or those I love? Why would, why would somebody that loves the Lord and serves Him fight a disease daily uh, that others that don't even care about God don't have to go through? You know, you think, well, why? You know, you think about something maybe we don't talk a ton about, but to hit Christians just the same, things like depression and anxiety and those kinds of things. And, and you think, God, why, do, why does somebody that I love, or why do I have to, to feel this way, to feel down, to feel guilty about being down, and then struggle to put the smile on my face? Why do I have to do that as a believer? Think about family troubles and and maybe so, so often people have the testimony of, you know, I've, I've tried to invest in my marriage. Uh, I've tried to help my kids. I've, uh, I know I haven't always done right, but now I'm trying my best. And it's like no matter how hard I try, it's not working. And you think, God, why? What do you want me to do? Do you not want to heal my family? 
Think about people, even with money troubles, which sometimes we downplay, but you can't pay your bills. That's a big deal. And you think so often people come and, and they go, I tithe and I, I try to be giving and generous. And there's all these greedy people in the world that are sitting without a care in the world. And I'm trying to figure out how I pay my electricity and eat this week. And you go, God, why? Why, why does it have to be hard? Why does life have to be difficult? Why do we have to go through these things? And sometimes the, the worst parts about those, the ones we understand, I think we get through, if you understand. If you mess up and, and you know, you buy, uh, you eat out 16 times this week on seven steaks, you know, and then you can't pay the electricity, you go, ah, yeah, I know what I did there. I got that one. All my money's here, <laughs> Right? I get that. I can, I can weather that. I go, that's on me. God, that's not your fault. <laughs> but then there's just so many things that happen that you go, I got no box for this situation. Nothing to do with it. And as the disciples come to Jesus, as they're passing by uh, this man born blind, uh, the disciples basically ask this question. They're, they're basically asking why, except they're trying to wrap it up in a neat little package. And so they, they pass by this man, born blind, who's begging, destitute. And the disciples look at him, uh, and they look at Jesus, and they say, Jesus, whose fault is that? Who sinned? Was it him, or was it his parents? Where do, in other words, where do we put this? Do we put it on him? Is it his fault? Do we put it on his parents? Is it their fault? Why? Where does this go? And we, and we love that little package. The disciples loved that place that was kind of a Jewish thinking in that time period uh, where they just like to wrap things up. Uh, nothing ever happens in their mind without it being deserved. And so surely, if this man faces hardship, it's because he earned it. Something happened where he deserved all of that. And that's an easy way of thinking. We do it all the time. We, that's, the, that's the natural way to think. It's so, it's so much more comforting when you look at the world and you look at hardship, especially if you're one that begins to see that and you're bombarded with hardship, maybe even daily. It's so much easier if you can just take each one of them and assign blame. You understand? And we love to do that. You pass by a homeless person, you go, they must be a drug addict. And boom, check off. There's, I don't got to worry about that anymore. It's now their fault. I don't know them from Adam, but I've assigned blame. It's got to be. Because in my mind, it couldn't be that somebody didn't earn that place in life. We see maybe somebody with financial difficulties, and we just assume. We just assume they must have made poor financial decisions if they're struggling. Somebody on social media just trying to say, hey, listen, I need to pay rent. Is there anybody that can help me? Can I do a job for somebody? I'm, I'm struggling. And we have no problem going, they clearly have made poor choices. And that's why they're there. It's as simple as that to us. So often. In other words, we're going, who, who sinned, them or their parents? I know it was one of them because they would not be there if they didn't deserve it. Because that's easy. That's if we put it in a box, it goes there. You know, you, you see a marriage fail, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. And so often, 
a marriage goes down, and all of a sudden everybody's now got the marriage advice on what went wrong after the fact, right? You hear that so many times? Nobody's got nothing to say while they're married. But after, the, after it's over and it's falling apart, we go, yeah, I saw that coming a mile away. Because you did this, this, and this. I didn't say anything then. But now I know, right? I remember three years ago, he bought a pizza with mushrooms on it, and he knew she didn't like mushrooms. It was doomed. I knew what he did. And we could take, and listen, if you take any life, you're going to find a fault somewhere. So it's easy. It's easy to do that. Whether we're talking about kids going awry, we always have the, well, I saw that coming. I knew it there. Man, their parents should have been invested. We don't even notice if they were or if they were trying or what they were doing. We assume it was earned. Because that's an easy way to think about it. It goes somewhere. You don't got to worry about something not being just. Uh, you just put it somewhere. And that's where the disciples are at. They go, okay, Jesus, here is this man born blind. Where does it go? Who's at fault? And no doubt, if we were to think about this man, he probably have, has asked God why probably a million times by this point in his life. Here's a guy that was an adult by now, if you were to read the whole account, that was born blind. And now that's never an easy thing, but in that time period, uh, there wasn't programs and systems to be able to help him and, and create a, a place for him to be in society. Uh, him being born blind meant uh, he's now relegated to the part of society that sits outside in the temple and begs for money so that he can eat that night. That's what he does. There would have been no educational program for him. Uh, nobody had a trade for him to go to or be able to make accommodations so he had a place to be a productive member of society. He just was out there and without an education, without much to live for, just there to beg in hopes that he could eat. And I think sometimes this really helped me here a couple years ago when I went to Mexico because you think of people begging and you think of the guy who looks full and fine and he's got the cardboard sign up and you go, he's not dying today. You usually don't think that. And I remember we, I, me and my wife were in Mexico and we went and saw a cathedral and there were people there begging in a totally different scenario. Not even on the same planet where you look at them and you go, these are people that are destitute. They're... Uh, They've got disabilities, they've got issues. You can see that they're in need. They don't have clothes. And you, and you look at them and you go, they might die today. And that's where this guy was. It wasn't a guy that looked like he had everything fine and he's got to sign up and you think, he'll be okay. I don't got to worry about that. This is a guy who's, I mean, destitute. You think about that daily living that he has. Uh, you think about his, just his life, his future, his hope, what might there be. Uh, just the simple thing, there's no hope for this guy to like find love and settle down and have a family. It's not in the cards for this guy. That's outside the realm of reality. Because certainly anything's possible, but that wasn't realistic. It really wasn't much for him. And I can only imagine how many days he might have just sat there and cried and said, God, why? What did I do? 
And the, and the Jewish thinking and the, uh, the disciples thinking here was, well, surely this is somebody's fault. Either it's his or his parents. And how that's even a question, I don't know. If somebody's born blind, how could it be their fault? Sinning in the womb? You stole too many nutrients? I don't... <laughs> could that be your fault? <laughs> but that's the human thinking. Because it's way easier. And no doubt he asked God why. But the reality was here, in human thinking, in, in human sight, in human perspective, there was nowhere to put this for this guy. As comforting as it might be to try to assign blame in this guy's life, and in many times, there, there's no place to put it. There's nobody to blame. There's no reason. It just is. You with me? It's just something where you look at it, he's born blind, and it just is. And you go, why? It's not his parents' fault. It's not his fault. It just is. From our perspective, if you were to say, hey, why? If we don't have this passage, I go, I don't know. It just is. Life is hard. I don't know why. So often we look at that and we want to put a reason there. Maybe we try to make something up and we, we have some spiritualized answer where we go, oh, well, yeah, this happened because, you know, it'll lead you closer to God or something, right? But we don't know. We're just hoping that there's something there, but we don't know. And I'll tell you what, there's been so many times in my life where I've had people in tragedy or hardship that have asked me, hey, why? Why did, he, why did this happen to me? And I got to go, I got nothing. I don't know. What could, it just does. Things happen. And you look at this story, and without the influence of Jesus, without this passage, that story ends there. You with me? If Without Jesus here at this moment, the disciples pass by and they go, uh, whose fault is this? I don't know. Oh well, things happen. And that's the end of the account. You with me? I mean, that's all that there is without Jesus. And in our life, that's the same. You with me? In our life, when tragedy strikes and we've got no box to put it in, we can, you can go around, you can ask every person why, and at the end of the day, the answer is, I don't know, things happen, and you move on. And that's all you got. But you know what's awesome about this account? It's unique, because that's not how it ends. They come to Jesus, and they go, Jesus, why? Whose fault? What's going on? And Jesus says, neither this man sinned, nor his parents, but he says, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I don't know if that strikes you how amazing that really is. That Jesus didn't say there was no reason for it. See, that, that's us. I got no reason. I, I don't know. He doesn't say, well, you know, random things happen to random people. I don't know what to tell you. Right, that's my answer. I'm a human being. I got no... Why do bad things happen? Because they do. Why do people get cancer? Because the fall and people, people get cancer. He didn't say the world's just a fallen place and it's just a storm of pointless pain and sorrow till you die. That's our perspective, but it's not his. We don't know, but he knows. And what's so amazing about this account, and I hope it strikes you, that when they turn and say, 
Whose fault? Why? What's going on? What box does this go in? Jesus has an answer for that. That doesn't have to be awesome to you, but it's awesome to me. That's amazing that there is an answer. I mean, if the account just stopped there, if, if the disciples said why and he said there is a why, man, that's, that's changing everything for me. Just that there is a why is, is enough. That there's an answer to that question from God's perspective is amazing. That, that from God's perspective, all of the years of pain, of struggle, of hopelessness for this man was for a purpose. There was a point to it. That there was a, there was a divine plan at work that allowed this to have purpose. That's enough. I mean, that's amazing. It's, it's got a box, in other words. It does go somewhere. We may not know it, but it does. Even if you never know, even if you never get to see or experience or have any clue as to what that purpose is, hearing from God that it's not just bad luck in random chaos has got to be an amazing comfort right here for this man. At this point, he doesn't know he's going to be healed. <laughs> All he knows is that the disciples come by and they look at him and as if he's not even there, an inhuman, and just says, oh, whose fault is this sad existence here? You with me? And Jesus goes, that the works of God might be made manifest. And I can only imagine what he thought at that moment is, wait, this is, there's a purpose to this? This isn't just I got the shortest straw in the, in the Israel. That's, there's a reason. I mean, that alone should be something, should be a comfort. And this man that was born blind and had suffered until adulthood, and it was all so that the Messiah could pass by and authenticate the message of salvation by healing him. In other words, and I want you to think about this here this morning, God had foreordained to use this man as a means of spreading eternal salvation to countless souls. Did God, do you understand? They asked, why was he born blind? And Jesus doesn't say, there's no reason, but I'll do this. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, well, there was no reason, but since he is blind, I guess I'll use this. No, no, no. He said, why was he born blind? What's the reason? And he says, in other words, he was born blind so that the works of God should be made manifest. In other words, all of his life had been for a purpose. It had all existed for a reason. All of the suffering, all of the trouble was so that God could show up on this day and heal him to authenticate the message of the gospel so people could be saved. That's amazing. Do you know that today, this man is thankful he was born blind? Isn't that weird? But today, this man's going, God, thank you so much for making me blind at birth. Today, he's rewarded, and today, he enjoys paradise, and today, he sees all of what God has done through this account that's immortalized in his word forever that has led we, we can only imagine how many souls to salvation, and today he can, I mean, he can only praise God today to say, 
Isn't it amazing that I was born blind and my life had such purpose? Today he knows that. What an amazing thing. And in this particular passage, we get what we don't get in almost any other scenario. We get a unique insight into the mind of God. This is not normal. I mean, most of us do not get to have Jesus speak to us face to face and tell us why we've struggled. I don't know about you, but it's never happened to me. I've never asked why and had Jesus show up and go, well, let me tell you why. Next year, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And in 20 years, you're going to see this. It's going to point back to this. It's all going to work out. Don't you worry. And I go, okay, great. Not once. But he gets a why. It's unique. But just because he got a why, and I don't get the why, doesn't mean there isn't a why. Isaiah 46, 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. It almost sounds like when you listen to what God has to say, that he thinks he might be in charge. I don't know if you get that picture from him when he speaks. That when we look up and we go, God, how could this happen? I don't know what's going on. I've got no place for this. I don't know what's happening. God, tell me why. It's almost like God thinks, yeah, I knew that. It's, it's fine. I know. It's almost like God says, yeah, I, know, I have been under control. It's almost like nothing happens according to God that is a surprise. And listen, outside of cases where God explains it, I can give you no definitive answers as to why people have had to suffer or hardship has happened or tragedy has struck. But can I tell you this? From the, from the promise of who God is and from His Word, my God is big enough to have a purpose in it. He's strong enough and big enough and mighty enough that nothing random has happened to God. I mean, he even promises this. He says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. He says, if you're confused, I have a purpose. And it could be. And like I said, we, we can speculate all day. We don't know. But it could be that God has allowed tragedy in your life to lead you to church today so you can meet the one that can save your soul. Can I tell you what, if you don't know him today and hard things have happened in your life and you thought, man, I guess I'll go to church and you get to meet him, you get to come to know him, you get to have a moment, maybe even this morning, where you get down on your knees and you ask him to save you and he saves you from your sins so that you have a home in eternity, eternal life. Can I tell you, there's no hardship that didn't make that worth it. There's nothing that have happened to where you go, I guess it's a good deal. No, it's a way win every time if that's the case. We don't know that, but it could be. The possibilities of what God can do are endless. And I can't give you the why, but I can promise that according to God, there is one. It may not be one we ever see here, but according to God, there is a why. It's not random. He's not powerless. It's not outside of his control. He does know. And we, 
Truth is, we often disagree with him. I hope you're with me here today. The truth is, is that when I pray to God and I go, God, could you fix this? And he doesn't. My immediate thought is, I'm going to have to disagree, God. (laughs) I mean, almost every time. (laughs) I see hardship in people's lives and I pray for it, and it's not fixed, and, and it seems like God's not answering the way I would have him to, and I think, what do I do? I go back time and time again. I go, God, I th- maybe you didn't hear me. But here's what's best. We often disagree with him. I would, listen, I would, every time there's tragedy, if it was me with the power of God, I'd go, no, no tragedy. I'll fix it. I'll wipe it away. Yeah, we'll heal that disease. Yeah, we'll fix that. Yeah, we'll go back in time and make it to that. never happened. If it was me, I'd play my own Avengers movie. I messed the whole movie up for you. We think God should judge sin, and we think God should, should fix everything, and we think God should take care of all of the problems. And then he doesn't, and we go, I don't know if you're right. <laughs> and it's, it's so often that's the case. And this morning I thought of Job where Job has these um, terrible things that have happened to him that, according to the the truth of God's word, were not his fault. Uh, He didn't earn those. Nobody sinned to deserve that treatment that happened to him, and yet it happened. And uh, and Job and his, his friends have this back and forth where they're trying to accuse him, and Job is trying to justify himself and and say how uh, he's righteous and has done right. And he, they have these back and forth. And then all of a sudden in chapter 38, God shows up. And God says, let me explain something, everybody. He sits everybody down like children. He says, he says it this way. We'll read it in 38.1. He says, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? I don't know if you get the meaning of what God's saying. But in other words... Who in the world do you think you are, is his question. And he goes on. We'll read a few, but I mean, we won't go all through it. He says, Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. He says, you've been going on and on and on about what you think happened, and, and who you think is in charge, and what you think is going on. Uh, okay, I'm showing up now. Let's get an answer. I'm going to ask you some questions now, and we'll see if you got the answer since you've been asking me and and speculating on who I am. He says, where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. In other words, if you know everything and you were there when the foundations of the earth were set, you tell me what it was like. I think you get where God's going. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? He's saying... Listen to this guy in way early mankind saying, Yeah, how's the earth floating in sky? Tell me that if you know. You give me that answer. Who's laid the cornerstones of it? And on and on God goes and he shows up to Job who's defending himself, who's speculating about what God would do and wouldn't do and why this would happen. And the other friends are coming to accuse him. And God shows up and says, Hey, listen. I don't know if you know this, but I'm God, and you're not. I owe you no explanation as to why I do what I do and what it is I'm doing, is what he says. 
Job comes and he's having the pity party. And from our perspective, we go, if anybody deserved to have one, it was Job. But God says, listen, no, you don't. I'm God, I set the rules. I pull the strings. I'm in charge. I get to decide what happens, when it happens, how it happens. Who are we to demand an explanation of God for when things happen in our life? He go, and it's not just because he's God. I don't know if you see this all throughout his word. I don't want to go long into it, but look at him. He says, he's given us guarantee after guarantee that he's not powerless. He says, listen, I am strong enough. Don't you worry that I can't handle it. I can. He goes on and on and says, there is none like me. Nothing happens that doesn't cross my path first. He says, I make my will to take place. He says, so don't you worry. It's not random. It's not without cause. And you might say, well, I know you can, God, but do you care enough? He says, okay, I will commend and showcase my love to you that while you were sinners, while you didn't know me or care about me, while you didn't deserve any grace, any mercy, I will die for you. And then I will let you know, in case you're confused about what that means, that that is the greatest mark of love possible. He says, I'll let you know that. So that you know, number one, I can, and number two, I love you enough that I will if I need to. To prove that he loves us. And then he tells us that every sacrifice, every pain, everything given, everything lost is more than compensated in eternity. Does he not promise that? Does he not say, hey, listen, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house or many mansions. He says nobody's given father or mother or lands or sacrificed anything that's not compensated abundantly in the life to come. So he says, listen, I can don't you worry. I love you, and I would not have you suffer needlessly. And if I do have you suffer, it'll be more than worth it. And can you imagine then, after all of this, uh, all this takes place, and things happen, and then we get on our knees and we go, God, I demand an explanation. And God goes, it don't work that way. <laughs> I don't know if we, we forget, I think, sometimes who God is. I think we take him too lightly. We don't think about him in his proper place. Because the reality is, is God has already proved that he can, that he loves you enough that it would never happen for no reason, and that he's kind and gracious enough that he'll make it worth it. And we still, every single time, go, God, I need to know why. And he goes, that's not... I'm God, you're not. You get to know at the end, is what he says. You get to know why, but you got to wait. He does all of the good for us when we really all deserve hellfire. And then, I mean, who do we think we are when we demand he clears his purposes with us first? Who are we to say, God, um, if you're going to have me suffer, um, can you come down? We'll have a meeting about it. You let me know why, and we'll figure out together if that's going to be worth it. It don't work that way. He says, it's my will. If I will it to happen, it will happen, and it will be worth it. 
Now, this man got to see that. We don't most of the time. But can I tell you what? That doesn't make it not true. And I love this man's perspective and, and what takes place. He, of course, is healed, and it's the Sabbath day, and there's that whole part of the story where the Pharisees come and interrogate him, and who is it, and why did he do it, and what's going on, and give us all the answers. And this man, <laughs> I love his answer. He goes, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. In other words, it's amazing. They're going, you explain to us, if that was God, what God's doing. Was this his prophet? Is he a righteous man? What's taking place here? And the guy goes, listen, that's God's business. All I know, I was blind, now I see. Deal with it. It is what it is. I don't know what to tell you. This man's not... The, the blind man is saying, do you understand that God's done something in my life? I don't care. <laughs> I, I'll find out later, but you know what? God's been good, and whatever he's done, and why he's done it, and who he's done it through, that's fine. Because I was blind, and now I see. <laughs> and what a glory it would be if we, as believers, had that perspective. If we said, hey, listen... Why do we suffer and why do we go through these hardships and why do these terrible things happen and what goes on? If our perspective was, listen, I don't need to know because what I do know is I was headed for hell and now I've got a home for heaven and that's enough. That's all the information I need. Now what a glory it would be if that was our perspective. And here's what's amazing and we'll close in just a minute. But if we were to understand a little bit of God's mindset, he does reveal some things in this. And he does say that there's purpose to these things. And he does explain a little bit that, listen, he's God and we're not. But of course, there were times where he explains maybe his thought process behind this. And he does so with Paul. And if you remember the account where Paul seeks to have God Take away a thorn in the flesh, as God, uh, as Paul would call it. And God responds to him. Once again, a unique time where God says, Okay, Paul, I'll let you know what's going on. Not because he's obligated to. Because he chose to. And he said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And we so often, we come to God and we disagree with Him. We say, God, why are all these things happening? What box do I put this in? God, are you going to fix this? And we think, God, don't you want to repair everything and strengthen us and make us happy and healthy and, and fulfilled and all of these different things? And God says, if you understand, I'm going to reveal a little bit of my purposes. I'm not looking to secretly strengthen you so you can boast in yourself. He says, that's not what I'm trying to do. If you need to know, I don't have to tell you. But if I am going to tell you, my purpose is not to strengthen you so you can go around and talk about how great you are. And listen, we totally would, because we do all the time. 
When you don't have money troubles, you tell everybody it's because, and I'll tell you what, my financial investments, and I'll be, I was wise with my money, and I did the Dave Ramsey, and I'll tell you, you with me? Anytime anything goes good, it's because we're awesome. Our kids are good. I'll tell you how I raised my kids. When I, I'll, I made them eat their asparagus every single time, right? <laughs> and that's why they turn up. Are you kidding? No matter what happens, we, we bring glory to us. You, very rarely does somebody uh, later on in their life when we go, how did you have such a healthy marriage? And they go, I have no idea. It was him. I don't know what to tell you. We don't do that. Well, we got a reason. Oh, let me tell you what I did. And God says, listen, I'm not looking for that. Because I'm God, you're not. <laughs> I'm not looking for you to get glory in your life. You know why? Because nobody's going to be saved from eternal damnation because they thought you were awesome. So I don't want you to look awesome. I want me to look awesome because I'm the one that saves them from eternal hell. So what I'm going to do is make you look not awesome so I can look awesome through you. That's what he says. And so Paul goes, if that's the case, I'd really like to look weak. He says, man, this is, this is the way it ought to be. It's, in other words, it's good to be weak. It's good from God's perspective, never from ours. But God's not looking for you to get glory. He's looking for him to get glory. And he says this, in other words, when you can't is when he can. When you can't do it, when you can't understand it, when you can't fix it all, that's when he can work. God works best when you can't work at all. You have the, in other words, you have the greatest hope when you're hopeless. Is <laughs> really when you know God is at work. If you're lost today, if you don't know him, if you've never had a moment in your life where you were born again and saved, you know when salvation will come to you? When you finally come to God and say, God, I can't, I need you. And if you, as long as you still come to God and say, God, I think I can, you can't be saved. You're hopeless. You're lost. There's nothing. As long as you keep coming to God and saying, God, if you just give me a little bit of help, I can do this. And I can be a good person. I can earn my way to heaven. You can't. Salvation comes when you go, God, I can't. There's nothing I can do. I'm destitute. I'm without hope. Please save me. And he goes, then I can. And what do we do? We get saved. And maybe if we were to borrow from Galatians, are we now made perfect by the flesh? Are we now going to come to him as believers and go, okay, God, I totally can now. So just help me. No, no, no. The whole Christian life, the, where he works best is when there's tears in your eyes and you go, God, I just can't. I just can't anymore. When you, you know when you finally get over sin? Is when you come to God and say, God, I can't beat it. I can't. He goes, okay, now I can. When you come to God and say, God, I can't fix my marriage, he says, okay, now I can work. When you finally know you're not the answer. Your greatest hope is when you're hopeless. God can use your life in such an amazing way when, when you're so beaten that you can't do it anymore. I can tell you from my life, the longer my life goes and the more I see the need and the pain and the task that's before me, the more I find myself crying out to God that I just can't. I can't do it. 
And here's what's amazing. The more that I say I can't, the more he does. There's an amazing account here. We'll close in a minute, but God reveals a little piece of his purposes in this man's life. That there was a cause. There was a reason. There was an end result. And it wasn't that God is going around causing suffering, but it's that God has a purpose through everything to bring him glory. And we got to see a little piece of that in this blind man. And what we need to do in our lives, what's necessary for us, is to stop bringing God down to our level and saying, God, answer me. And start letting God be God. We need to start trusting God enough that we trust that He's got a purpose. That we trust that He loves us enough that if it was better to take our pain away, that He would. We need to trust Him and love Him and know that He will reward us enough in by and by that we'll say, God, if it's a life of suffering, I know it's okay. I know it's worth it in your eyes, and I know it'll be worth it in mine when I see it all. There are so many, I believe, and and I know so often in my life this is the case, that we need to come and, and put our burdens on the altar and just say, God, I trust you. I got no answer, and nobody can give me an answer, and I may never get an answer, but I trust you. I know you love me. Here it is. Can I tell you what? That's not an easy thing to do. Because my will is that it be fixed. My will is that he take it away. My will is that the things that I can't understand that hurt so bad is that I would know what they are, why they are, that God would take them away. It's not an easy thing to come and say, God, whatever you will. I want to say, God, take it away. But for God to get glory and for us to understand, for us to have peace, is when we lay it on the altar and say, God, it's yours. I'm giving it to you. I don't know why, and I don't need you to tell me why. Because I love you and I trust you. And then to know that God can use your life in such an amazing way, when you finally do that and come to God and say, God, I can't. I can't anymore. I can't do it. The longer my life goes, the more I see that I can't. Can I tell you what? Some of us need to get on your knees and say, God, I'm done fighting. I can't. Can I tell you that's the greatest thing you could do? The worst thing you could do this morning is come down to an altar and say, God, I'm going to do this for you. You're you're off base. If you're lost today, the worst thing you could do is come down and say, God, I'm going to be a better person. You can't. The best thing you could do is just get down on your face and go, God, I can't, I can't make it one more day. I can't weather this storm. I can't fix my family. I can't save my soul. I can't do it, God. Because then God says, okay, listen, now I can. Now that you know you can't. The best thing you can do for yourself this morning is tell God you can't and then trust in him and what he's able to do and who he is. God loves you. 
God's concerned for you. God does not want your suffering. God is not powerless about it. But God's also not obligated to let you know why it is. He wants you to trust him enough that you can just say, God, here it is. I'm good with it. Even if I'm not good with it. (laughs) Here, I trust that you can, and I know I totally can't handle it. I'll tell you what, if you do that, he'll begin to work. He'll begin to show you that he can. You may not get the answer today, but it'll be worth it then. Stand to our feet this morning. Appreciate your attention. We'll have a a word of prayer in just a moment and and have a, a time of invitation. But I just I just want to invite you that if you don't know him as your savior today, that's all it takes. Come up to the front, I'll show you how. But it's just coming before him and saying, God, I can't save me. Can you save me? I know I'm a sinner, I know I deserve hell. And I want your blood. And that's all it takes. But you've got to be willing to say you can't. and Give up on you. Maybe there's some believers here that have been holding on to something. You've been getting bitter at God. And you've been getting angry because God won't fix the thing you think he needs to fix. And maybe you just need to put that on the altar. Maybe you need to say, God, here it is. I trust you. I can't do it, but I trust you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I don't, I don't say these things lightly this morning. Lord, I understand that there are so many things that are not, they're not trite, they're not small. Lord, we're not this morning.